Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Cross Creek via streaming. I want to thank Robin and Liz and Tom for the music this morning. And, and in fact, I, I would also, I'm going to ask right now if Pastor Brian or Tandy or somebody or Doug or someone, to, I know they're all looking at me now, really funny. The heads just popped up. Uh, maybe take a few pictures behind the scenes here. Okay, of uh, the sound people back here and what's happening. We have three people running the sound and the videos and all this. So there's a lot goes on behind the scenes. And I praise the Lord for each and every one of us that's here this morning. There's like, I don't know, maybe 10 of us totally that's here to making everything happen. Uh, thank you. Thank you for joining us this morning. And if you have your Bibles open, if you will, let me encourage you, it, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19 this morning, and we're going to be looking at a subject that I think is very pertinent for us today. In fact, that subject is defining moments, defining moments. Individuals throughout Scripture had various times that their lives and really the direction of the nation of Israel was defined by a certain moment in time. We look at a man named David. David faced their Goliath, a tremendous giant, and how God was all involved there and how God used him in a, in a tremendous way. We look at a guy named Moses and how God spoke to Moses through a burning bush and yet how God used Moses in a powerful way to lead the nation of Israel out of bondage of, from Egypt into their promised land. We see a guy named Daniel, how Daniel ended up in a lion's den. But yeah, he was the number two man for various great kingdoms and empires during his day. And in fact, we're studying the book of Daniel in our Bible study on Heart to Heart every Wednesday evening. I encourage you to tune in on, at 6.30 every Wednesday. But God used various defining moments in lives of people throughout the scriptures. We also see throughout the history of mankind the same thing, defining moments. You look at... The American Revolution, defining moment when we broke away from England and we see that the, the, the Constitution of the United States, the Declaration of Independence was drafted and written and ratified and wow, defining moments. The Civil War, <laughs> that was a major defining moment in the history of America. Man walking on the moon, defining moment. The invention, the, the invention, the discovery of atomic energy, defining moment. There was a man named Alexander Fleming. Alexander Fleming had a defining moment where he discovered, through the sovereignty of God, everything happens, penicillin. Penicillin totally changed the face of battle and war during World War II in 1942. We also see in the 40s, we see something else happen. We call it the HCQ, and that's, a, that's a, a special medicine that we are hearing about today. But this was a malaria drug that was discovered in the 40s when we were digging through the Panama Canal. So we look, we look around us today, and even in their own individual lives, there are defining moments. Defining moment when you got married, a defining moment when you gave birth to a, your first child or that child came into your family. Defining moments happen in our lives. And yet it, today we are really in the midst of a big defining moment in America, 
the defining moment of the coronavirus. That's sweeping a pandemic around this world, and yet we see so many crazy things. We hear stories from all over the place, and we aren't quite sure what's happening. But just understand that God is absolutely sovereign, and He's in control. Even though we think man, and we look around, and we run helter-skelter, and we have news organizations and various news outlets, and we have all the politicians that's filled in Washington, and everyone has their own captive view of the, of the matter, but God is truly in control. It saddens me we aren't going to get together for this Palm Sunday. This is Palm Sunday, and, and, and Easter, that'll be next Sunday. But we will be streaming the Easter. We will be streaming our Good Friday service as we're streaming the Palm Sunday, our triumphal entry this morning. Place your hope in the Lord. Defining moments is always <laughs> is found that we get our solace, our peace, our, our rock is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And turn your fears into prayers. And this is the time to, to draw near to God. God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. See, take that move toward God is very important. And so we see so many things is happening. And today is a significant event we're studying, we're looking at in Scripture. And in fact, it's found in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke in all three Gospels, we see it in, uh, in here in Luke chapter 19. But this is the significant event that happened 2,000 years ago. We call it the triumphal entry, the, the Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday that Jesus, Jesus came into Jerusalem. Well, let me just give you a little bit of background on, on the triumphal entry and what was transpiring here. Israel was anticipating the coming of their Christ. In the scriptures, you read three different words, Christ, anointed one, and Messiah. It all speaks of the coming of this one into this world. The Old Testament Jews and the, the history of the Old Testament all the way through, we see over and over and over many prophetic verses relating to and predicting the coming of this Messiah, this anointed one, this Christ. Well, Jesus is now coming into Jerusalem. He was predicted from the beginning of Genesis 3.15, found many, many, literally hundreds of prophecies in Scripture. Now this coming into Jerusalem at the, at, on Palm Sunday was a culmination of three and a half years of public ministry of Jesus. And in those three and a half years, Jesus proved who he said he was, God the Son, that walked on this earth, that, that came to this world in most unique way. And he performed what is known as messianic miracles. Miracles that were predicted that the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, that he will perform these miracles when he comes. Oh, there's a lot of people, and even today there are people claiming that they're the Messiah, that they are the Christ, that they are God, even today. And it was the same in those days. But Jesus proved who he said he was by these messianic miracles. And I'm not going to belabor this, but... And there's a lot of verses of Scripture, New Testament, New Old Testament, but the blind will see. Jesus healed the blind. The lame will walk. The paralytic, we talked that, and the lame will walk. The lepers will be cleansed. 
lepers. Leprosy was considered, a, you know, a curse of Almighty God. That 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 there is, it's incurable. This disease. And the deaf will hear. Those that have no hearing, boy, now they start to hear. And the dead will be raised. That's another messianic miracle. And the miracle and the gospel, the good news, will be preached. These six miracles, these six signs, these are going to go right with Jesus, with the true Messiah, wherever he goes. And for three and a half years, he performed those messianic miracles. And you just can imagine, if he was living today and he all of a sudden he walked into the, uh, into the ICU and started to heal everybody, and as he walked in, everybody was healed and jumped up out of their bed and the fevers were gone. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the input? Can you imagine the reaction of the people at this time? But see, the crowds were, with Jesus now was coming into Jerusalem. The crowds were going wild, the excitement, the anticipation of all Judea and Galilee and the whole region there. Everyone knew about him. He was coming into town. And during this time of Passover, when they were coming, when he was coming, there was about two million followers, worshipers, of Jewish people that year to celebrate the Passover. Try to get the picture in your mind. Coming into Jerusalem, two million people just area that Jesus is coming to. And Jesus fulfills perfectly, perfectly scripture. But understand this, and understand this, I think is very, very important. This moment in time, this Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry, this time that Jesus came into Jerusalem was his official proclamation to the world, to the Jewish people. I am the anointed one. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. This was the official time. Many places in Scripture we see other times all the way through, we see, my time is not yet. My time is not yet. Don't, tell, don't let it be known yet. Don't let it. And this was the time. The triumphal entry records a defining moment in the life of Jesus himself. <laughs> but it also def gives us a defining moment in the life of the Jewish people, the Hebrews, the nation of Israel. And the triumphal entry even defines a defining moment for the church, even for us today. As Jesus made his way into Jerusalem as he was going up, we, we read that he, he healed some people of blindness in Jericho, 17 miles away. And, and as he traveled up the hills, heading up, they were singing songs of ascent. Psalm 120 to 134, those, that passage of Psalms were called songs of ascent. 15 short psalms, but, and, and, and here's, here's just one of them to give you an idea, because as a Jewish pilgrimage, the Jewish people were making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the great Passover, and Jesus was the Passover lamb that year. Jesus himself was going to be crucified. In Psalm 121, verse 1-2, it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Where does our help come from? I lift up my eyes to the Lord. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. 
These, are the, these were the songs that they sang as they made their pilgrimage into Jerusalem. Jesus came into his, a town just on the other side of Mount of Olives. You have Jerusalem, and then you have Mount of Olives. And then just on the other side, about two miles away from the center of Jerusalem, was a little place called Bethany. It's where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, his good friend, and Lazarus was the one, if you can remember, in John 11, that he raised him from the dead, Jesus did, just prior to this, and had people going wild. How in the world such an event transpired? It must be God in the flesh, Jesus. And so the crowd, they stopped and they hung out at, at their house, Jesus did, and and the crowds kept coming and following, following. Now it got bigger and bigger and bigger. So crowds was going ahead of him and crowds was going behind him. And he was in the midst of them. This, this tremendous crowd swelled. And the next day, a great crowd accompanied Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. But just what were the reactions of the people? What would your reactions be? How would you respond? We see a few reactions here, but the crowds, they really, they expressed joyful praise. They were coming into this town, this place, Jerusalem, and you see down the bottom of that picture on the far right-hand side, that's the eastern gate. It's called the beautiful gate. And that was the gate that Jesus came through. Because right here, we're looking at that picture from the Mount of Olives fascinating, and the crowds went wild. In Luke chapter 19, verse 36, look at with, with me in your scriptures. In verse 36, as he went along, people spread their cloaks, their, their coats on the ground, on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. Why? We see for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You tie it in with all the, the, the praise of, of those three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it's just, there's, there's, there's tons of, of, of just worship and praise and, and accolades that they, they lift up. The excitement is building and building. People were shouting and, and, and praising God. They were running and they were thinking, I'm sure, what will happen when Jesus arrives? As Jesus crested the top of the Mount of Olives, as it crested the top, you would catch a quick glimpse of Jerusalem. You go across the top of Mount of Olives, it flattens a little bit, and then all of a sudden you go around the bend in the road, and boom, there it is. Put that picture back up, if you would, Denise, of Jerusalem. Wham, it hits you. Kathy and I and Bill and Rosemary was just over in Jerusalem. And we were there. And I remember we were touring the whole nation and different things. And wow, what a fantastic experience it was. And I remember riding in the bus and coming up the road from Jericho, the same way that Jesus walked up. And, and we went into a tunnel. And this tunnel was a tunnel through the Mount of Olives. And the highway, we went through this tunnel, and the tunnel was like curving. And all of a sudden, we curved out on the other side of the tunnel, and the road curved, and here laid Jerusalem. Oh, my, what an experience that was. My heart, I just became like hard and pressed here. My chest, like, like, like whoa, and my eyes, tears swelled up my eyes. Like, 
here was the Scripture coming alive. This is the place where God Almighty, His Shekinah glory would come down and fill the temple and everyone would stand and they see that when Solomon prayed. Oh, it's so rich in history. And it's so rich in future prophecy. So rich in future prophecy. Oh, my Jesus coming into, coming into Jerusalem. You read in the other gospel accounts and we see that the crowds were following Jesus and Jesus was riding on a, a colt, a young colt. He wasn't riding on a stallion as a great conquering king would come. No, he was lowly and humble. And he rode on a young colt, a young donkey. And the people, the masses were going wild. Many people were praising God, the Messiah, the miracle worker, the teacher, God Almighty, honoring him as king with palm branches and then placing their clothes in the road, like rolling out the red carpet for him. And some people were wildly cheering, but expecting a king who would deliver them from Rome's oppression. In Matthew 21.10, on this passage, parallel passage, it, it says that he entered Jerusalem and the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? What's going on? Who is this guy that's coming in? Who is this Jesus? And then the reply was, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Up in no man's, up in the sticks, up in the boondocks. He wasn't the elite. He wasn't the academia. He wasn't the, the, the person that was highly connected and powerful. No, he was only, he was only the creator of the universe. <laughs> Came into town. See... They express praise and worship. See, the day of the Lord, <laughs> the day of the Lord is coming. And sometimes I look at this coronavirus that it's a wake-up call for the world, a wake-up call to me and a wake-up call to you and a wake-up call to America because the day of the Lord is coming. And God Almighty, the creator of everything, is getting the world's attention in a way hasn't had our attention before. Are you ready? So we see the crowds express that jubilant praise, but we see the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they're quite the opposite. They expressed angry hatred. And look at verse 39. Verse 39, it says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. <laughs> Teacher, tell your disciples to shut up. <laughs> and Jesus said, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. What we see here is Jesus threatened them with rock music. <laughs> the stones were going to cry out if you keep quiet. See, the religious establishment, they hated Jesus. They were the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They were the scribes. They were power hungry. They were religious but they were lost. They did not have a relationship with Almighty God. Oh, they walked around in their high and mighty, their turbans, and they, they had their clones and their gowns, and they just, they looked down their snooty nose at everybody. Do you know, I, I look at religions today, they were religious but lost, and today if you do a search, you'll find there's over 4,200 religions in this world 
all claiming that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to this utopia or heaven or Narvia or wherever it might be, and then I'm going to give you this, 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 this thing that Jesus said, no, there's no other way except through me. You see, everything, everything was coming to a head. The Pharisees had to cozy, corrupt relationship with Rome. They were corrupt to the core. And they were interconnected and oh. the crowds were growing wildly, heralding Jesus as king and the Pharisees were seething with resentment and hatred. And then look at 19 of Luke, verse 47. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priest, the teacher of the law, the leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes, all the, among the people, what were they doing? They were trying to kill Jesus. When truth comes into this world, people will hate the truth. Just as they hated Jesus, today we have people that are trying to say truth and they're despised, they're ripped apart, they're tore apart. And the truth is being pushed down. The truth is being sort of squashed and walked under. Calling good evil and evil good. And so we see... In verse 48, yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. They wanted to destroy Jesus. They lacked knowledge of the truth. They believed the lies of Satan and the world's secular government, the world's secular system. Don't trust, and you hear me say this, don't trust everything you hear. There were pawns in the plot. There's a battle raging in the unseen world that you and I know nothing about, and it's raging today in a big way. Because the Pharisees in this day was fighting directly against God himself. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Those are powerful words. One God, three persons, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They plotted to take his life. They're like the mafia. Sounds a lot like our culture today. We kick God out of our public schools. We ban prayer in the Bible. We change Christmas into a winter festival, and we will do away with uh, Easter, total, totally the resurrection. We don't want that, so we'll just do it with Easter eggs and bunnies and things like this over and over. We reject the precious life that's in a mother's womb, and just call it a blob of tissue. God help us. You see, you look around, you see the angry hatred speaking out and toward truth, toward Jesus. It's very interesting, the crowd that was going wild and praising the Lord, we see five days later, they would be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Why? Because their hearts were not changed. They chose sides with the angry, hating mob or the angry, hating media mob of the day. But there's another reaction that we must get. We see the reactions of the crowds. We see the reactions of the, of the religionists, the religionists. But we also see the reaction of Jesus. We see Jesus express deep sorrow. Deep sorrow. 
In verse 41, we see, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. Simple verse, short little verse, but it's packed with truth. It's packed with authority and power. Understand this, that he came across the top of Mount of Olives, breaking in full view of Jerusalem and the temple, and to seeing the Jewish temple down there, the, rock of the, the dome of the rock was not built, but now seeing God's temple built, that Herod rebuilt, seeing the masses of people and hearing the cheers and the jeers, Jesus burst into tears. What's it mean? If you look a little bit deeper, we find something very interesting. I find it interesting anyway. I might be just different, but I, I find this interesting because God uses a Greek word, eklason. Eklason, eklason. It's only used three times in Scripture, and it means this. It means a strong, unrestrained sobbing. It's seen one place where Peter, remember Peter, I won't deny you, Jesus. <laughs> I won't deny you. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. Oh, I won't do this. And he went out and he denied Jesus after Jesus was arrested three times. And then Jesus' eyes and Peter's eyes, I believe they met. Boom. You know, you look him straight in the eye. Boom. And he turned and he went out. And it says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. It cost him. He wept sobbing and bitter. We also see that word used over in the book of Revelation that teaches us about the second coming of Christ. It teaches us about what's going to happen in the future. We see a scene with John, the apostle John. God used him to author scripture up in the throne room of heaven where a search was made throughout heaven and a search was made throughout earth, through all the universe. Who is worthy to open the sea and break the seals of this this book, the scroll book. And the search was all over, and no one was found worthy. And here's John up there, and we read this in Revelation 5, 4. John says, I wept and wept at Glossen. He wept. He lost it because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then we see, don't cry, John, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. That's talking about Jesus. Jesus is worthy, and Jesus is able to open the book. So up in heaven, the apostle John, he lost it. He was broken. Peter was broken. And right here, Jesus sobbed. He lost it. Unrestrained sobbing. Why? Why? Because Jesus knew. He knew a lot of things. Look at verse 42. I want to read verse 42 through 44. It says, verse 41, As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, he wept over it, and he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. This is prophetically talking because of the rejection that Jesus was going to go through. That destruction was coming to Jerusalem. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, and they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. 
So their rejection. First, I want you to see Jesus knew their unbelief would bring them distress. Verse 42a, if you, even you, had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? In the midst of this coronavirus, people are looking for peace. And you'll look for peace in all the wrong places sometimes before you finally find that peace that only God can give to us. Jesus saw their unbelief. He saw their lack of faith. He knew even in a few short days that he would be crucified. They'll be crying out, many of the people, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus proved who he said he was, God in the flesh, the long-awaited Messiah. If only they knew this truth in their hearts, they would be blessed with peace. But now they're distressed. And Jesus wept over the city because its people did not understand the significance of what was happening that day. I'm the Messiah. And they did not believe it. See, a person's life without Christ, that's unbelief. And if you don't have Jesus Christ in your heart, that's unbelief. And you will be empty and you will be stressed and you will live hopelessly, unfulfilled, in fear. But let Christ come into your life. Let him come into your life and he'll change your life. He'll forgive you and he'll cleanse you. He'll make you a brand new person inside. That's what happened to me 40-some years ago. My life changed. See, we need Jesus. Not only their unbelief, Jesus saw and knew their unbelief would bring them distress, but also their rejection would bring them blindness. That's scary, man. But now, in that verse 42, now it is hidden from your eyes. My people Israel, they could have accepted Jesus as the Messiah, and I believe theologically they would have ushered in the millennial kingdom right then and there. But you rejected me. And because you rejected me, because you don't believe in me, you will live in blindness to the truth. And my friends, this continues to this very day. The Jewish people today, for the most part, reject Jesus as the Messiah. Some, they're called Messianic Jews. Some are being saved today. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 11, verse 8 says, It is written, God, God Almighty, gave them a spirit, a stupor, eyes that they could not see, ears that they could not hear, to this very day, Paul says. Over in Revelation, or I'm sorry, Romans 11, 11 says this, Rather, because of their sin, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. God turned salvation for the Jews, but the Jews and and the world crucified Jesus. And salvation turned to the Gentiles until the Gentiles be come in, and then now God's going to turn back to the Jews again. That's future hence. And that's why, boy, I tell you what, the things we're seeing in this world today, my friends, is unprecedented. I believe prophecy has, has, has been fulfilled up to the coming of Christ. I, I'm looking for him in my lifetime. I really am. See, rejecting Christ brings spiritual blindness even today. Salvation is not something to fool around with. Could this coronavirus be for you? Could it be a wake-up call to you? I don't know. Only you know and, and the Lord knows. 
See, so we see Jesus, the Son of God, he knew their unbelief would bring them distress. He knew their rejection would bring them blindness. And he knew that their decisions would bring them destruction. We read this. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, and they will not leave one stone on another. Because of their willful decision of unbelief and the rejection, God was going to bring destruction. And in fact, when we were in Jerusalem walking around the walls, we stood at this one section. We looked way back and we probably went back 500 feet, 800 feet, a long ways back. And all you could see was these big stones, big, big building stones, maybe this wide and big high. They must weigh a ton, two, three tons a piece. And they were all laying there. They were all destroyed when Titus came in 70 years after Jesus. 70 years after Christ, Titus, a great Roman general, came in and decimated that, that city. This is prophetically saying Jesus knew what was going on. He knows the future. It's, not a, it's no mystery to him. He's God in the flesh that walked this earth, and, and he knew what was going to transpire. And so he wept. He wept bitterly. It was real, my friends. I hope you get it this morning. Because in 70 A.D., Titus came in and he built a five-mile wall of army and troops around that city. A total blockade to starve them out. And after a 143-day siege, destroyed the city and destroyed the great magnificent temple. Killing 1.3 million Jews. And taking 97,000 Jews captive. My friends, what did this do? Theologically, scripturally, we see that this marked the beginning of the Jewish dispersion. That God dispersed the Jews throughout the world. They rejected their Messiah. And he dispersed them. All the way to the point in time when God allowed the Jews to really, uh, the sovereignty of God, that God's in control. We see the world's attention through the Holocaust was brought back to the Jews. And once again, after 2,000 years, Israel got the flag of David flying over their, their nation once again. In 1948, they became a nation once again. Significant in Bible prophecy. Jesus. Their unbelief brought distress. Their religions brought destruction. And see, my friends, that's the reason why Jesus wept bitterly. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Emmanuel, God with it. God's coming to you. They failed to be in tune spiritually. They were too busy for God. They were religious. Oh, they looked good on the outside, but their hearts were putrid on the inside. Jesus, God in the flesh, was right there with them. The miracles and everything that he did, they did not recognize him. It was a defining moment. The Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah. 
And God dispersed those Jews throughout this world. And salvation turned to you and I as Gentiles. And the church was birthed at Pentecost because they failed to recognize the truth. The new living translation, good translation, it puts it this way. Because they did not accept your opportunity for salvation. God, you gave the people an opportunity to be saved. You gave that people an opportunity to trust you, to believe in you, but they rejected you. And see, the tears of Jesus are the tears of God. They did not accept that opportunity, their opportunity. And we see Jesus was arrested and crucified. Crucified. The Son of God God in the flesh, Jesus, Emmanuel, was crucified, was buried, but he rose again. To understand the significance of all this, see, have you accepted your opportunity for salvation? Do we recognize this time? See, are we going to miss our opportunity if God is allowing and shaking this world up and trying to wake this world up to the truth of God's word? You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, it's a defining moment. Defining moment. Defining spiritual moment in all of our lives. In fact, slowly, I want to go through this. It's very important because Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He loved the world. He loves you. He loves me. He loves everybody. And he gave his son to become that sacrifice. He died in the payment, in the place of you and me who could not do this because we're sinners. Jesus was the perfect sinless one. He was the Passover lamb. Perfect blood. We sang, just sang about that. But note these words from John chapter 1, verse 10. It says, he came, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, he came into the very world he created. This is the incarnation. He came into this world that was filled with sin and corruption and, and evil and wickedness and viruses and struggles and death. He came into this world, but the world did not recognize him. They didn't recognize him. This is human ignorance. This is blindness caused by sin. Verse 11, he came to his own people, the Jewish people, and even they rejected him. His own people rejected him. He was the one that was despised and hated. Let's crucify him. And through that crucifixion, salvation, he paid the penalty for your sin. And I said, please tune in on Good Friday, 630 you're going to learn a lot more about the, the payment of sin and what happened there. And then make sure you tune in next Sunday because that's Easter, Resurrection Sunday. What a hope that we have, guys. But look at verse 12. But to all, that's not some, all who believed in him and accepted him, what did he do? God gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. Not with a physical birth. We're all born physically. We're all born into the sin nature of ours. And, 
We aren't going to go to heaven unless we receive and trust Jesus and believe in him. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. See, that's the triumphal entry. Looking at it in a way that maybe we've never looked at it this way before. My friends, the, the greatest, greatest admonition I could give you is be sure of your salvation. Be sure you're saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's that, that word salvation. That's why Jesus came. There he shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us to the highest. That's what Hosanna means. Save us now. So be sure of your salvation. And secondly is be discerning the truth of God's word. See, the world is filled with lies. Just as the darkness came and put Jesus to death, Darkness is in our world today. Understand that, not to be paranoid, not to be schizophrenic about it, but understanding the reality of life. We need truth. Cleanse your soul, cleanse your mind with the truth of God's word. And then be living for and making a difference for Christ. Allow him to use you. Live for him. Make a difference in this world. See, the triumphal entry is all about God loves you. Sent his son into this world, and yet he was rejected and he was crucified. Light came into the darkness, and they, darkness, despised the light that walked this earth. Jesus loves you. Believe in him and trust him. I'm going to, let me just say this, that we're going to have a, a Good Friday service here at 630, and we're going to look a little bit more about Jesus in the garden and as he was facing the cross and what he was facing. I think it'll come together as you heard this message and you'll hear that one on Friday and then hear Easter's on Sunday, this coming Sunday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you in a word of prayer right now. But let me, let me say this, that if you aren't sure you're going to heaven when you die, if you aren't sure that you're forgiven by Almighty God, would you pray this prayer from the depth of your heart, right in the, the space where you are right now? I, I don't know where you are. You might be sitting in your car, might be on the job, you might be home. Wherever you are, my friends, this is reality. This is truth. This is important. I'm going to pray a prayer, and, and, and I'm going to sort of lead you in this prayer and pray it from your heart. Don't just intellectually pray it, but from the depth of your heart. Trust Jesus. Bow your head. Go ahead. Right now, just pray this. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into this world on a mission to seek and to save the lost. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for me. I now invite you into my life as my Lord and as my Savior. Lord, take control of my life. Forgive me of my sins and make me your child. God, make me the person you created me to be that I might begin a new life in you. And Lord, us as Christians, we pray that we might live a life of faith rather than fear. Help us to be a blessing to those around us, to our families, our homes, our co-workers, people that our neighbors. Oh, God, help us to make a difference. And Lord, 
I pray that you would help those struggling right now. Physical issues, Lord. Our Cross Creek family, God, be with them. Those that's on chemo, Father, bless and work there. Bring healing to bodies. Father, the broken bones, that you'll mend them back together. The high blood pressures, you bring that back together. The tumors, that you'll get them shrunk or removed. God, be glorified through this, through our lives that are, we're vessels of clay. Father, mold us and shape us. And Lord God, we ask that you would be with those that has emotional issues right now and struggling with fear. Lord, I pray that that might be replaced with prayer. God, I ask that you would surround all the folks that are listening right now with your presence. God, by your spirit, that you will woo us and draw us to yourself. As your children, we thank you for your powerful promises, over 8,000 of them in your word, but the promise that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. Father, forgive us. Forgive us as a nation for our many sins. And God, be with our nation, be with our president, be with our leaders, be with our churches, be with our pastors. Lord, grant a spiritual awakening, not only here at Cross Creek, here in the back mountain, here in Pennsylvania, but Lord, throughout this world, throughout America, across our land, Lord, that you will wake up your children. Father, be with those who are suffering, those families that have been inflicted, afflicted by this coronavirus, and even to the point of death, God, be with the grieving families even now. Be with the medical profession, the doctors and nurses, the emergency workers, Father, the various researchers that's happening. And Father, we pray that truth will prevail rather than cover-ups, rather than corruption, but Father, truth will stand strong. Help us to see through this maze that we're in, to walk in integrity and truth. And Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, that you are in control. There's nothing that takes you by surprise or by chance that, Father, we can rest our souls in you. Thank you for that realization. Allow us to have that hope fully resting in your Son, Father. And we thank you for Jesus. Father, we might find that rest and that peace and that hope and that strength in you and you alone. And Father, through everything that transpires in our lives, in this world, we thank you and we praise you that no matter what happens, you are there. And Father, in the powerful name of Jesus, we pray in his name. And all of God's people said, amen and amen.